left of that, and uh, I know that that's going to be a blessing and an encouragement, so uh, make sure that you're here for that. Mark chapter number 1 uh, is where we'll be this morning. We'll start reading in verse number 12. The Bible says this, and immediately, everybody say immediately, immediately, immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets. Everybody say, forsook. And they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for this day that you've given us. And uh, God, thank you for the great service that we've already had. And uh, Lord, I pray that in the next few minutes, Lord, you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say. God, I pray that we can uh, be encouraged and challenged and edified from our time together this morning. And uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you would consider yourself a good driver? Can I see your hand? You'd consider yourself a good driver? Okay. How many of you would consider yourself not a good driver? Can I see your hand? Uh, I would consider myself a pretty good driver. I think my wife Katie would beg to differ a little bit. Um, I, uh, although most of my driving experience growing up, I got on the golf course driving a golf cart. Okay, that was, that was uh, uh, for me, that was always awesome. Some of my greatest memories growing up were golfing with my dad and being able to drive the golf cart. That's what I look forward to more than anything, just being able to drive the golf cart. It was always a lot of fun. And I remember one time my dad uh, told me, he said, hey, Matt, tomorrow morning I want you to go golfing with uh, Dr. Don Sisk. And I believe most of you would know who Dr. Don Sisk is, but for those of you that don't know, he's a veteran missionary. He's, a, he's an incredible man of God. He's one of the happiest men that you'll ever meet. Uh, I think at this time, he was about 70, in, in his mid-70s, and uh, he was a missionary for several years, a great pastor, and uh, just a great man of God. And so <clears throat> my dad said, Matt, I want you to go golfing with Dr. Sisk, and I said, sure, that'd be great. And so we get there, it was early in the morning, and I was able to drive the golf cart, and I was excited about that. And so I was driving, and we were having a great time, me and Dr. Sisk. And uh, we, we had played nine holes, and we were making the turn, going to the tenth hole. And we were going down kind of a steep hill uh, on the concrete path there. And uh, we were going pretty fast, and I noticed that Dr. Sisk, his hat fell off in the wind. So I kind of looked around, I saw his hat back there, and so I thought, well, I'll go ahead and just turn around, and we'll go back and get it. And so I started to turn around, I looked next to me, and Dr. Sisk is no longer sitting next to me. <laughs> And I look behind me, and I see him rolling on the concrete behind me, and I'm thinking, what did I just do? Did I just kill Dr. Sisk? You know, my dad is never going to forgive me for this, you know. And uh, we, we ran back there, and Dr. Sisk, uh, if you know him, he's always so happy. And he was like, oh, no problem. He was laughing. I was like, phew, you know. And, he, and the, the rest of the day, I was just driving that golf cart like at 10 and 2, you know. Like, I'm going to drive slow. I'm going I'm to make sure that this is, this is uh, okay. I would consider myself a fairly decent driver. Katie would, would not agree with that. And uh, I try to tell Katie, you know, some of you can relate to this maybe. I say, Katie, you can't judge if someone is a good driver just based on the amount of tickets they've had and accents they've been in, and just because I failed my drive test twice, that you can't, you, you know, the past is in the past, you know, and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> Katie would say to me all the time, she says, you're not easy to follow, she said, whenever someone's, uh, whenever I'm driving and someone's trying to follow me, you're not an easy person to follow, like, I'll, I'll not slow down at yellow lights, you know, I'm trying to go through them quickly, and she says, you're not easy to follow, and I think I got that from my dad, uh, because my dad is not an easy person to follow, um, I remember one time going uh, to a restaurant in downtown L.A., and my dad said, well, Matt, why don't you just follow me? 
and uh, I'll show you how to get there. And so uh, <clears throat> I was following him to the best of my ability, but my dad is a, is a crazy driver, and he was going in and out of traffic, and he was going through red lights and cutting people off. And so I'm going through red lights and cutting people off, and people are yelling at me, and they're waving at me, but they're only using one finger. You know, it was not, it was not a good, good scenario, and I'm just doing my best to follow my dad. But the, the reality is following my dad in L.A. traffic is not an easy task. And sometimes the responsibility that, that we've been given to follow someone can prove to be difficult. And this morning I want us to talk about the truth about following Jesus. The truth about following Jesus. Because the term following Jesus to us has kind of become like white noise or elevator music. We hear it, but maybe it doesn't really mean much to us anymore. And uh, we, I think all of us, most of us in here would say, yeah, I'm following Jesus. We're following Jesus. We know that that's what we're supposed to do. In fact, uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.21, for even here unto we were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow. Everybody say follow. His steps. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. And I believe most of us in here would say, yes, I'm following Jesus. We know that's what we're supposed to do, but are we actually following Jesus? Are we living like Jesus lived? Are we loving like Jesus loved? Are we sacrificing like Jesus sacrificed? Are we serving like Jesus served? Because there's a major distinction between actually following Jesus and simply being a fan of Jesus. And many people are fans of Jesus, but I'm afraid maybe they're not actually following Jesus and living like Jesus lived. See, a fan of Jesus is someone that wants to be close enough to get the blessings, but maybe not close enough to have to carry any burdens. A fan of Jesus is often active when things are good, but often absent when things are tough. So this morning, are we really following Jesus? Are we living like he lived and loving like he loved? And in Mark chapter number 1, we find an interesting passage of Scripture where Jesus comes along one day, and he's, and he's beginning his uh, Galilean ministry, and he comes across four men, and he says to them, hey, follow me, come after me. And immediately they left everything behind, and they followed Jesus. And that was an incredible decision to follow him. And I believe in Mark chapter number 1, uh, Jesus sets the precedent and the example of what it actually means to follow Jesus. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you three characteristics of a Jesus follower. And I want to make mention that th- these are not three requirements to be a Jesus follower. These are simply three characteristics of someone that is a Jesus follower. These are byproducts. And so number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to see, first of all, a commitment to purity. Someone that is a genuine Jesus follower has a commitment to purity. And I think it's interesting that this story does not actually begin uh, at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this story actually begins in the wilderness, And uh, it begins with the temptation of Jesus. Jesus, for 40 days, uh, was in the wilderness being tempted of Satan. And and, uh, here he sets an example uh, that he did not give in to temptation. He sets the precedent of having a commitment to uh, purity, commitment to not give in to that temptation. And without getting into all the details of the temptation, Jesus uh, quoted scripture, and he was able to get victory over this temptation. I want us to see a few things about it. Uh, uh, First of all, letter A, the suddenness of this temptation. It was a sudden temptation. In verse number 12, it says this, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the, mil- in the, into the wilderness. Immediately, straightway. Well, immediately after what? Straightway after what? Jesus actually had just been baptized. This was his official inauguration into the ministry, his official commencement into ministry. This should have been a season and a time of celebration. This should have been a time of, uh, of joy. This should have been a great occasion. But instead, the Bible says, immediately, straightway, he's thrown into the wilderness. And isn't that exactly how Satan works and operates? 
Isn't that exactly how temptation works? Sometimes after a great season or a great spiritual victory, that's when the temptation comes the hardest. After a great victory, sometimes it's followed by great vulnerability. And a lot of times we can go through a great season and things are going great and have a a great high spiritually and make a great decision. And immediately after that, we're tempted in, in a severe way. And this was a sudden temptation. I remember when I was in high school, we played a basketball team, and uh, we thought that this was going to be a difficult opponent, and so uh, we really prepared for this team, and we, we got ready, and we practiced hard, and we came into that game with focus, and, and uh, we, we started that game, and it was on their home court, and we executed properly, and, and it turned out that, that we won pretty easily. We won the game by 20 points. Well, the next week, we played that same exact team at our home court, and we thought, well, this shouldn't be as difficult. We just beat them on their home court by 20 points. Uh, no problem. We kind of went into that game a little bit relaxed. I remember at the shoot-around, everyone was kind of just joking around and, and didn't really have a lot of focus. Well, at halftime, we were down to that same team by 15 points. And uh, our coach came in and said, you guys need to get your head in the game. And, and just because we won last week doesn't mean that we're going to win tonight. And I believe that the same is true spiritually. Just because we've had great spiritual victories in the past, that does not guarantee us great spiritual victories in the future. And so Jesus has this this inauguration, this baptism, and and he's still wet from being baptized, and he's immediately thrown into the wilderness. Immediately, he's going into this sudden temptation. I want you to know, secondly, letter B, a spirit-led temptation. It's interesting that verse number 12 says this, and immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. So, So who drove Jesus into the wilderness? The spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for that, for, for driven is ekbalo, which literally means to throw out, to cast out. So Jesus has just been baptized, and immediately he's thrown out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allowed this temptation to happen. The Holy Spirit allowed this difficulty to enter his life. And see, the Holy Spirit will allow difficulties and allow temptations to come into our life. Why? Because temptation seasons are not meant to destroy our faith. They're meant to deepen our faith. They're not meant to deter us. They're meant to develop us. And so this temptation season comes, but it was a spirit-led temptation. And when temptations come into our lives, maybe the question that we should be asking is not, why did this happen, but rather, what is this preparing me for? What is God trying to teach me? What, what is this temptation for? What's the purpose? And I love in Luke's accounting of this, of this same uh, temptation, Luke chapter number 4, verse 14, it says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And so not only did the Spirit lead him into this temptation, but also the Spirit gave him the power to become victorious over temptation. I want to encourage you this morning, the same Spirit that brought you to it will be the same Spirit that will bring you through it. The same Spirit that, that, that brought you to temptation, that led you to this, will also empower you to become victorious over that temptation. And so uh, this, this commitment to purity, we see that Jesus had this. It was a sudden temptation. It was a spirit-led temptation. But I, also I want you to see it was a severe temptation. In verse number 13, it says this, And he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered unto him. And uh, you can read this accounting in several of the Gospels, but I, th- I think it's interesting that Mark although his is the shortest accounting of the temptation of Jesus, he includes that Jesus was thrown out into the wilderness with the wild beasts. And uh, you can look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and see what kind of beasts that, that were there. But you, There were snakes and scorpions and wild pigs and lions and wolves and, and all sorts of different things. None of those animals sound very fun to me. And Jesus was just thrown out into the wilderness with them, tempted for 40 days. This was a severe temptation. 
And maybe this morning you're facing a temptation that's severe. Maybe this morning you've been trying to get victory over temptation and you just can't quite get it. I read a story about a duke of what is now Belgium. His name was Reynold III. And uh, Reynold had a younger brother named Edward. And uh, Edward successfully revolted against his brother and kind of took over his regime. And he captured his brother and he put him in a room and he built this room around him and there was a window in the room and there was a door in the room. The only problem was uh, uh, Reynold III was an extremely uh, obese man. He was uh, grossly overweight and so he could not exit through the door. He couldn't fit. He couldn't fit through the window. And his brother Edward, his younger brother, said, hey, whenever you can uh, uh, fit through the door, you're free to go. But he knew that he had uh, just this appetite that he couldn't control and so every day he would just continue to feed him. Uh, every day uh, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just feed him and feed him. And, and uh, Reynold, he, he had no control of that, so he continued to eat, continued to eat. And, and many people would say uh, to Edward, hey, you're being cruel to your brother. And he said, I'm not being cruel. He said, he's not a prisoner. Whenever he wants to leave, he's, he's free to do so. And he was there for about 10 years before they actually had to tear the room down and, and, and release him. He was a prisoner to his own appetite. And maybe today, this morning, you are going through a severe temptation, and you feel like you're a prisoner to your own appetite. You want to get that victory. You want to stop doing it, but there's that struggle. Like Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7, the things I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. The things I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do those things anymore, and you feel like you're stuck in a severe temptation. And I want to encourage you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you but such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. See, there's never an excuse to sin, but there is always an escape route. And I, and I think that it's so important that in, in, this, in this passage, really about following Jesus, Jesus sets the precedent saying, hey, if you want to be a genuine follower of me, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have a commitment to purity. You're, you're going you're gonna to have a commitment to stand strong against, against temptation. It's not about being perfect, but it is about pursuing a holy God. And he said, be ye holy, for I am holy. The Bible says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. See, God blesses and empowers a pure vessel. So we see a commitment to purity. Notice, secondly, uh, the second characteristic of a, of a Jesus follower is this, a compassion for people. A compassion for people. Jesus makes his way from the wilderness into Galilee, and, uh, and uh, he begins preaching and teaching the gospel. Notice, I want you to see uh, two things about this compassion for people. The first thing is uh, his message, the message. And we see that in verse number 14. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel. Everybody say, preaching the gospel. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled He said, it's time now, we're going to get started, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And I love those verses because that really simplifies what it's all about. It's all about preaching the gospel. And it's all about turning from our sin and turning to Jesus and trusting him. And that's what the gospel message is all about. And Jesus sets the precedent here for preaching. And you say, well, I'm not called to preach. I'm not a preacher. Well, I'd say in some sense you are. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, How then shall I call on him in whom they have not believed? And how then... Uh, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so how are our neighbors and our coworkers and how are the people on our street going to hear about Jesus if we don't tell them, if we don't preach the gospel to them? And so Jesus is setting the precedent here preaching. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16 says, 
For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul says, woe is me if I'm not preaching the gospel. I have to preach the gospel. I have to share the message of hope and the message of Jesus. I I, I have to. Notice verse number 16 in Mark chapter 1. It says this, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon the Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And uh, Jesus is, is meeting these new two characters, uh, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. And uh, these guys were professional fishermen. How many of you uh, like to fish? Can I see your hand? You enjoy fishing. Um, how many of you have ever been fishing with a professional fisherman? Anybody? And uh, <clears throat> Simon and, and uh, Andrew, they were professional fishermen. And uh, fishing requires a lot of knowledge. It re- requires uh, a lot of knowledge about what kind of bait, what kind of poles, what kind of you know, what kind of fish you're catching, all, all these different things. And uh, I remember several years ago, I had the opportunity to go with my father-in-law. And we were in Alaska, and we got to go salmon fishing. And uh, it was a great experience, and we got to go fishing with this professional fisherman. His name was Mike Fleener. And uh, Mike Fleener was uh, an unbelievable fisherman. He knew everything there was to know about uh, catching fish. We got in the boat, and, you know, he had this GPS that kind of had uh, showed where all the fish were going to be under the water, and he had all the right equipment and all, all the right things that you needed. And I remember that day, we were just catching all kinds of fish, and, and uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, Mike Fleener, he had this, like, wooden dowel or this hammer, this t- type of stick, and uh, anytime we caught one of the fish, he, he had this routine. What he would do is he would take that stick and he would kind of whack the fish right on the head with it to kind of put him out of its misery. You know, the fish kind of flop around. He'd take the fish and kind of just, uh, you know, thump it on the head. And I was thinking, yeah, that kind of looks fun. And uh, so, I, so I thought, uh, the next time that I catch a fish, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab that. You know, usually he did it. He was a professional. But I thought, I'm going to take that, that hammer and I'm going to whack the fish on the head. And so uh, I caught a fish. I reeled in. I was excited. I reached over. I grabbed that, that wooden uh, hammer and I, I swung as hard as I could and I hit that fish right in the tail. I was like, oh, sorry, you know. And then I took the, I took the uh, thing again and I hit it. And this time I completely mishit the boat. And, you know, it turned into like this game of whack-a-mole. I'm just like trying to, trying to hit this fish. Finally, I got it. And the uh, fleener just looked at me. He's like, oh my goodness, you know, like who is this, you know. And uh, fishing uh, requires a lot of knowledge. And these guys were not just kind of casual fishermen. These guys were uh, professional fishermen. They knew everything there was uh, to know about catching fish. And the way that these guys would catch fish is kind of interesting, different than how we would do it. What they would do, the Bible tells us, is they cast their net into the sea. And the net would have been uh, a very large circular net. And on the perimeter of the net, there would have been all of, all of these weights. And so what they would do is they would, they was, it was real heavy, and so they would take a lot of guys, and they would throw uh, the net over the, over the sea, and it would kind of uh, uh, cast out over the sea, and it would start to sink to the bottom. Also around the perimeter of the net was a rope. And so what they would do is they would cast it out, and the weights would start to take the net to the bottom. And one of the fishermen would dive down into the sea with the rope, and he would kind of enclose it and swim back up to the top, and hopefully um, uh, tighten that net to the surface, and that's how they would catch fish. And so that was kind of the process of what they were doing. And they were there in the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is, uh, is a very uh, a small uh, Sea of Galilee. It's more like a lake. It's about 13 miles long, and it's about 7 miles wide at its widest. And even though it's very small, during this time, there were about 16 harbors for boats on the Sea of Galilee. So it was a very busy place. A lot of ships going in and out, a lot of boats going in and out, a lot of different harbors, a lot lot that was taking place. And uh, it was a very uh, busy place. Uh, Fish was the primary meat in the Mediterranean world. And so uh, very, very, very important, very, very busy uh, area this was. Verse number 17, it says this, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. Jesus said, come after me, follow me. 
and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, this would have been very surprising for the fishermen to hear because Jesus was a rabbi, and rabbis would never say this. Rabbis would come in, and they would never say, hey, follow me. Rabbis would never do that. Rabbis would always say, or rabbi, a Jewish uh, scholar or teacher, they would always say, hey, follow God. Follow God and follow the law. And Jesus came along and said, hey, I want to tell you something different. Follow me. Because, see, Jesus was not just a rabbi. He was not just a teacher or a prophet. Jesus was the Son of God, is the Son of God. And he says, hey, I want you to follow me. And that would have been surprising for these fishermen to hear. And they hear Jesus, follow me. And, Jesus says, and then he says, and I'll make you to become fishers of men, using terminology that they would have understood. And he says, we're going to do something different. Instead of just catching fish, we're going to catch people. And we're going to change people's lives. We're going to reach people. And so Jesus is emphasizing, hey, we've got to have a compassion for people. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus, you're going to care about people. You're going to have a compassion for people. And Jesus demonstrates his message, but also his mission. The mission. We're going to reach people. We're going to go after people. Charles Spurgeon said this, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. See, the truth about following Jesus is you can't do it without having evangelistic zeal. Evangelism is not the calling for some, it's a command for all. We're, we're all to be fishers of men. We're all to reach out to people and have a compassion for people. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Everybody say compassion. Moved with compassion, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. And so Jesus, here he comes to these men at the Sea of Galilee, he says, Hey, come after me, follow me. So we see right off the bat, if you want to be a, a, a genuine follower of Jesus, you've got to have a commitment to purity, and there's got to be a compassion for people. Notice the third characteristic, and it's this. You've got to have a change in priorities. There's got to be a change in priorities. Notice verse 18. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse 18 says this, And straightway they forsook their nets. And followed him. And we had gone a little farther thence. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with, with the hired servants, and they went after him. This is an amazing decision. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he just sees these guys, and he says, Hey, come after me, follow me. And they leave their nets, they leave uh, their boats, they leave their father, they leave the servants, they leave their friends, they leave everything, and they start following Jesus. And I've heard messages on this before, and it's real easy to kind of jump to the conclusion just to say, hey, uh, when Jesus calls you, leave everything, forsake everything, uh, leave everything behind and follow Jesus. And I believe that. I believe that the call to follow Jesus is a call of radical abandonment. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 9, verse number 23, and he said to them, all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so I do believe that there is a call to radical abandonment of following Jesus, but in Mark chapter number 1, is that really what's happening? It really almost seems to me it's an irresponsible decision at first glance, right? If you're, if you're a fisherman and you're kind of just fishing, you know, cleaning your nets, doing what you're supposed to do, and Jesus walks along and you don't know who he is, and he says, hey, follow me, and they just immediately leave everything behind and follow. They just quit their jobs and they, they leave their father Zebedee and they say, they say, see you later, tell mom we said hi, we're, we're going to go. Is that, is that kind of what's happening? And you read it, and it almost seems so fast. And I think the reason is Mark's gospel was written primarily to an audience that had already believed Jesus, already knew Jesus. And so he, doesn't, he leaves out kind of a lot of detail. 
while in Luke's accounting, he was reading, uh, writing primarily to a Gentile audience who maybe needed a little bit more convincing about Jesus, and so he gives us more detail. And I want to see, see the progression of, uh, of that decision where they ultimately said, hey, we're going to leave everything behind. I want you to see how that happened a little bit. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Luke chapter number 5. I believe the verses will be on the screens as well. Uh, but I want, I, want to, I want us to see uh, what, what is happening here in Luke chapter number 5. Verse number one says this, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or or the Sea of Galilee. So that's a little detail that maybe we would have missed in Mark's gospel, that they were listening to the word of God. They, They were hearing the word of God. See, following Jesus always begins with information. It always begins with truth. See, Christianity is not, is not a blind faith. It's not, if you're ever in a place where you can't ask any questions, that's not a good place to be. And so this, this decision that they made to follow Jesus began with information. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. They were listening to Jesus. Verse number two, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so uh, they are, uh, these guys, the, uh, Simon and, and, and Peter, or, or Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and James, and John, they're washing their nets, they're cleaning their nets in the process uh, to do that would have been, uh, they would have gotten two poles and they would have taken that uh, large net that I was telling you about earlier and they would just kind of stretch it out uh, over those two poles and they would go and they would pick off trash from it and pick off seaweed and they were kind of cleaning it. Then they would roll it up real tight and they would put it in storage until the next night when they would go out fishing again. So they're cleaning their nets, they're listening to Jesus, cleaning their nets, listening to Jesus. Verse number three, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And so uh, there was this, this crowd there listening to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus asked Peter, hey, would you mind if I used your boat? Can you, can, you, can you go out a little bit so I can have a little space to teach people? And Peter's thinking, you know, okay, Jesus, you can, you can use my boat. And this would have been maybe a little bit of an inconvenience for Peter, maybe a little bit uh, of a hassle. He was putting everything away, but he says, okay, you, you can use my boat. They go out a little bit, Knows verse number four. And I love verse number four, because Jesus is about to ask Peter to do something that he's done a thousand times, but he's going to ask him to do it just a little bit differently. He's going to ask Peter to do something that he had done a thousand times before, but I, but I want you to do it a little bit differently this time, because he was asking Peter to trust him. Notice verse four. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Simon, I want you to launch out into the deep. Now, there was a couple problems with this. One, they were cleaning their nets. They'd already put their nets away. That would be like saying, hey, right after you got a car wash, hey, let's go out four-wheeling or something. You know, Jesus said, Jesus said hey, Peter, uh, let, let, let down uh, your nets. Go, I want you to launch out into the deep. The second uh, problem with that is it was daytime. And these fishermen would never fish during the daytime. It was too hot. The fish would go to the bottom of the sea. So they would fish at nighttime when it was easier to catch the fish when they were more near the surface. And so I bet Peter's thinking, you know, in fact, he was thinking, he was thinking, you know, Jesus, that's a good message that you're teaching and everything I'm listening to, but you don't know much about fishing um, because this is not the most opportune time to go fishing. We just put our nets away. But Jesus says, hey, I want you to trust me. Verse number five. And Simon answering said to him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. He says, you know, Jesus, not because I think it's going to work, not because I think this is the best time, but I'll do it because you said, so I'll go ahead and do it. And he takes that next step of faith. And I love this because Jesus is not asking Peter in this moment to sell his business. He's not asking him to sell his boat. He's not asking him to leave everything behind. He's saying, hey, I want you just to trust me in one decision. I want you just to take one step of faith. I know you've gone fishing your whole life. I know you know all about fishing, but I want you to do it again a little bit different. This time, I want you just to trust me. Just take that next step. Just trust me in one area. 
And this morning, wherever you are in your journey of following Jesus, I want to encourage you, take that next step of faith. Maybe your next step is to begin tithing. Maybe your next step is to join a small group. Maybe your next step is to uh, get involved in some area of ministry. But whatever the step is for you, I want to encourage you to take it. Because Peter had no idea the ramifications of that decision to let down his nets that day. He had no idea how everything was about to change for him. He would go on to preach to thousands and walk on water and do all these different things because he just trusted Jesus in one area. Just go out into the deep. Verse number six. And when they had this done, not when they thought about it or believed about it or hoped, when they did it, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and uh, filled both ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter thought, Wow. Verse number nine. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of fishes that, that they had taken. Peter just couldn't believe it. This was amazing. He couldn't believe what was happening. Verse 10. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. See, they did forsake everything. This was a call for total radical abandonment. They did completely change their priorities, but it started with listening. And then they inconvenienced themselves a little bit. Peter said, okay, you can use my boat. And then they just trusted Jesus in one area. Hey, just launch out into the deep. I want you to do something you've done before, but do it a little bit differently, this time with faith. And they thought, wow, if Jesus can do something that amazing with a little bit of faith, I wonder what he can do with a lot of faith. Jesus, we're all in. And he left everything behind. There was a complete change in priorities, but it started with a small step of faith. And wherever you are in your journey of following Jesus, take that next step of faith. I read recently... In 1978, there was an author named Michael Hart who was an astrophysicist and historian, and he published somewhat of a controversial book, and he called it The 100. And it was the most uh, influential people in history. And uh, unsurprisingly, Jesus Christ made the list, but uh, to many people's disappointment, Jesus Christ was number three on the list. First was Muhammad, second was Sir Isaac Newton, and then it was Jesus Christ. And a lot of the Christian community were upset about this. How could you say that Jesus is just the third, you know, most influential person? And this is what he said. He said, Surely among the most remarkable and original ethical ideas ever presented were from Jesus. But he continued, If they were widely followed, I would have no hesitation in placing Jesus first in the book. See, in his estimation, Jesus' teachings were diminished because his followers didn't follow them. And this morning, as a community of believers who, for the most part, would say, I am a follower of Jesus, let's make sure that our actions and our words align. Let's not just say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Let's actually follow Jesus and have a commitment to purity and have a compassion for people and evangelistic zeal and have a change in priorities and and seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. The truth about following Jesus is that your life will be a little bit different. It's not always a life of comfort and ease. Sometimes it's a life of leaving things behind. This morning, I I hope that it's your heart's desire to say, I don't want to just be a fan of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. How many could say, you know, 
that as we were looking at, at this passage of Scripture and as we were looking at these verses, God spoke to my heart in one area or another about increasing uh, 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 my activity for Jesus. I don't want to just say that I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I, I want to have a commitment to purity or a change in priorities. If God spoke to your heart in one of these areas, can I see your hand so I can pray for you? God spoke to me in one of these areas. It's awesome you guys can put your hands down. There might be someone here today that are thinking, you know, <clears throat> I've never made the initial decision to follow Jesus. I've, I've never put my faith in Jesus at all. I, I I've heard about Jesus, I know about Jesus, but I've never trusted in him and him alone for my salvation. See, the devils believe in God also. The devils believe and they tremble. But there's a difference in in believing about him and actually believing and trusting in him. Maybe today you're thinking, I need to follow Jesus for the first time. I need to place my faith in him. I know it. God's speaking to me. If that's you, uh, I'm not going to point anybody out, but can you just raise your hand so I can pray with you? I need to trust Christ as my Savior. Can you lift your hand up? I need to make that decision. Thank you. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. It's my heart's desire that we would be a church and a community of people that don't just say we're following Jesus, but actually follow him. Not be a fan, but a follower. And this morning, Ryan's going to sing in just a moment. If you raise your hand and say, hey, God spoke to my heart, I want to encourage you to solidify that decision. Maybe take a minute and pray. You can come forward if you want. You can pray at your seat. If you are unsure about your eternal destiny, you're unsure about your home in heaven, you've never made that commitment to initially follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to maybe come to the front, go to the back, see me after the service, see one of the staff or, or some of the helpers. We would love to talk to you about that and get that decision settled. But as Ryan sings, let's take a minute and solidify our decision and pray and talk to God.